We are In Bed With Books. Thank you for joining us this week. I'm Melissa. And I'm Bethany. If you'd like to find us outside of wherever you're listening from, then you can find us on our website, inbedwithbookspod.com, on Instagram at inbedwithbookspod, and find us on YouTube for video versions of the podcast and bonus episodes. So let's jump right in. I'm tired. Yeah. Like the holidays are just getting to me. Yeah. Honestly, it doesn't even feel like Christmas to me. I'm just like, so, so we got our car window broken into Mm -hmm. in the garage. Yeah. I won't go into it. So we don't have like a driver's side window, which is really annoying when you have to like drive. Yeah. But like Milo, Milo put like plastic on it, but that doesn't mean you can see through it. So I'm like, I don't really want to go anywhere. It's like kind of my excuse. So I just spent the last couple of weeks, just like my days off, just like vegging out. And it's been really, really nice um, because I know Christmas is coming and I'm not going to be able to do that. Um, And I'm honestly like not shopping for anyone. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's probably good. It's good. I think it's a more prevalent thing this year since we're all kind of suffering. So yeah. Yeah. You're definitely not alone there. Yeah. Um, like we're like, yeah, we, now we have this car window to replace. Like yeah. it's Milo's slow season. Like it's just, it's Christmas lands on the worst time of year, I think. Um, yeah. For, for finances. So, well, it's, it's funny because having holidays during the winter was usually meant to like, you weren't supposed to, it wasn't supposed to be like a commercial thing. It was supposed to be like a lifting you up. It was supposed to be like yeah. a light in the darkness kind like of people used to make gifts yeah you make gifts you make like a big meal together you make yeah. alcohol and you all try yeah. to get rid of all the stuff that's about to go bad basically yeah. and now we're like if you don't spend over a thousand dollars on the gifts for all the people that you care about yeah. then you're dead to us yeah like, i don't I, no yeah <laughs> i think yeah i think this year that's just what's really weighing me down more than like I guess I don't really get seasonal affective disorder. Right. So that's never really the issue for me. It's just like the, the everything happening during yeah. these next few weeks that usually gets me. The ob- obligations. Yeah. The obligations. And like, it's probably a social media thing too, a little bit. Cause like everyone's like, it's all cute. Everyone's got like this really great excuse to have gorgeous, adorable pictures right. together. And like, everyone's got a tree this is the first year that I don't have a tree because I live with roommates that have cats. Last year, my tree did not survive it. Right. And so that's a little off for me. Yeah. So. Yeah. We have a little tree. It's like this. It's literally like this. Big. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and so that way, if it, it's it, nice when it falls, it's less damage. Yeah, exactly. We just chuck it out the window. No. Um, my cats have never been tree cats, but so we're lucky there, but um now they've got a kitten and he ooh, he gets into everything yeah and so there's just like seymour's just not tree ready yeah well when you're an indoor cat like yeah i forgot i forgot what was going on it's okay i mean it's pretty much just the holidays which like yeah. it's not that it sucks i mean i yeah. do like i love christmas music i'll admit it taylor and i listened to christmas music in like august because we were we're like we need this yeah a little bit like emotionally August <laughs> yeah um <laughs> like I like the little things that go with Christmas I think it's just like the people element yeah of the holidays that I'm like a bit of a Grinch about 
definitely. Which I think was also the moral of the Grinch. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I listen to Christmas music the hour for an hour at work before everyone else comes in. Nice. Because not everyone, not not everyone I work with celebrates Christmas. So I don't want to like, it's also like not even people who do celebrate Christmas don't always like Christmas music. So I'm like, Milo doesn't like Christmas music. So it's like the one place I'm like alone (laughs) and I can just have it on in the background. So that's been making me feel a bit festive, but nice. Yeah. It's been a weird winter. I feel like it just hasn't really felt like Thanksgiving. It hasn't really felt like, you know, not to like beat a dead horse with it but like with the we're still we're going like with year two of this pandemic mm-hmm. and a lot of things just feel kind of like what are we doing yeah like why are we like it feels very much like going through the motions and not doing it yeah it, it doesn't have yeah which i think is a good thing i think we'll come out yeah. wanting to simplify things hopefully yes or yes. at least this new a new generation will be like why like reshape it <laughs> yeah reshape it exactly a little bit. i mean that always happens when you have like a big kind of mm-hmm. like cultural reset like this yeah. Yeah. people are like well i actually didn't like that so i'm just gonna moving forward continue to not do it yeah like with work stuff yeah not like my job but like the workforce like labor yes. shit yes. capitalism the great resignation yeah 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 it's like <laughs> We're just so sad. You don't understand. <laughs> yeah. We're not lazy. We're just so sad. Yeah. Our future has been stripped from us. Yes. Once again. Yeah. Once again. Well, today we're talking about. On that note. On that note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're talking about Frankenstein by yes. Mary Shelley. And we've been, this has been a long time coming. We've been really excited to cover yeah. this one this is on record my favorite book yes I I love this book and I think we you had talked about it in stories in our in our stories on Instagram a little bit about how like coming to it again just seeing all mm-hmm. of this new these new elements to it yeah it's such a rich text it is and I was I was kind of like thinking how you think you you think you get it and then it like (laughs) yeah and then and then it just like drenches like it just becomes more and more and it like it kind of piles on like the themes just kind of pile on so like Mm -hmm. one the moment you think oh this is like a comment on this or like oh and then you're just like no this is like wait what no and then like yeah I don't know I just feel that's just kind of how I felt the first time I read it, I read it for leisure and it was very much like, what's the big, you know, what's the hubbub about? And I wanted to kind of like figure it out. And I mean, I think we've discussed this before. It was like, I knew that there was more going on in it, but I just didn't have like the brain power before my master's degree to like, really like give it the attention that it deserves. I mean, you um, learn to engage with texts in a new way after. Yeah, exactly. After, things, after our master's, yeah. Especially after um, my dissertation. Yeah. Because a lot of the stuff that's going on in Frankenstein is very much a response to the French Revolution and what happened because it just it just literally changed the world, um, yeah. the Western world in that way. Um, 
and thought. And so Mary Shelley's text is very much like a further comment on that, which I was like, oh, I know, I know about that. And that I do want to talk about that a little bit too, because like, as we mentioned in the Wollstonecraft episode, Mary Wollstonecraft died having given birth to Mary Shelley. Mm -hmm. And from what I understand, it wasn't like, like the circumstances around it would not have occurred today because the same doctors who were helping birth children were usually the ones that were taking care of dead bodies. Mm -hmm. And so that could pass a lot of diseases to recently having given children women because like your vagina after you give birth is like an open wound. Yeah. And so she contracted a disease and I think it's something like several days later died. A couple weeks. Um, Yeah, a couple weeks. And so Mary Shelley's only connection to her mother was through her writing, which Mm -hmm. was highly philosophical, aggressively um, pro-woman, pro-liberty, pro-female independence. And so a lot of that definitely comes out in this, Mm -hmm. which is funny because there's really only two female characters, Mm -hmm. but like the absence of women in the story is very much a point. She's making like a very clear point, which is Mm -hmm. one of like the superficial readings of this, which is like what, so the, let's real quick, the, the full title is, let me find the page real quick, Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus alluding to the greek myth of prometheus who tried to give well successfully gave fire to man thus like removing god gods from the situation mm-hmm. and he was punished for that and so a question the main question that shelley is asking here is about like what if you remove woman from the equation and just make like man-made life and as we see it's a shit show like you can't remove women from the equation. That's interesting. I never thought of it that way. Really? Like, well, I mean, I just never like that never occurred to me that no, it was a comment. Um, it makes complete sense. Um, because it is literally man making life. Yeah. Yeah. There's like when uh when Frankenstein is talking about his process of making his beast, his his I think the the general consensus is that the monster's name is Adam. So I'm just going to go with that. Um, because he's like, when he's talking to Frankenstein at one point, he talks about like, he is Frankenstein's Adam, his like first creation. Right. So when he's talking about the creation of Adam, he kind of like settles a few times. He's like, well, it was going to be harder to get smaller pieces. So I just settled to make like a gigantic person instead. Mm. And it's kind of, in a way that she couldn't have anticipated because that wasn't a conversation at the time, but also bringing in like eugenics, like you can choose all you want, how you're going to make your children, but it doesn't mean it's going to be okay. Yeah. So there's like, there's a lot of influence from her mother's Mm proto-feminism. I, I really noticed too, on the subject of like him, the process of him creating, Mm -hmm. I've just been calling him the monster. So that's just what I'm gonna say no no no, that's fair or the creature um yeah I like the creature yeah I like that his creature 
uh, me not, not to bring up Hannah Arendt in every conversation, but <laughs> she talks about how, um, in during the revolution and the years afterwards, lots of people used the word torrent as like a metaphor for like this irresistibility that happens, like, especially with like an example, like the French revolution, when people were, you know, reacting out of necessity, they were starving, they were, um, not being heard or represented and so they were violent and so it was described years after as like a torrent and i just saw that imagery so much with both frankenstein and his creature yeah which we'll get into but um because they definitely become a mirror of each other yeah um but frankenstein like page 36 my limbs now tremble and my eyes swim with the remembrance but then a resistlessness and almost frantic impulse urged me forward i seem to have lost all soul or sensation but for this one pursuit and then later in the text he talks about how he didn't even know he can't recall what he was thinking at the time yeah because he was just so consumed um with that very like post dissertation yeah <laughs> there was, oh my there god there was definitely moments where i was like this is a little triggering for my masters it feels I rem- a little too real i remember someone asked me like when i moved back here and i was meeting someone at work and they were like oh would you write your dissertation on i'm like i don't know i could not tell you i was your like i have just like blocked it <laughs> i like yep. blocked it out of my i because i spent literally every waking hour you know yeah oh yeah I was like I honestly can't tell you (laughs) so that passage specifically got me thinking and like it's something that pops up before but that passage about like he knew only that pursuit got me thinking about like the theme of isolation Mm -hmm. within the novel because in the same way that like Frankenstein and the creature a mirror like Walton is also this kind of like like Frankenstein before he went to school like yeah. as he's like on the verge of this this destiny that he has um but he talks about himself growing up Walton our Walton talks about like himself growing up they him and his sister didn't really go to school they just like were educated by their uncle's uh library um and then in like the letters leading up to meeting Frankenstein, he talks about how he doesn't really have a friend. He talks about like that kind of platonic isolation that he's feeling, even though the men around him are nice and cool. He's like, I don't feel a kinship. And then Frankenstein has a similar um, upbringing where Mm -hmm. he even points out like he's got him, his parents, his cousin Elizabeth, and then his two brothers. And he talks about how they were like this uh, unit, like they had their own Eden in this. it's like a lot of like isolated imagery here and that's not good like that's not a good thing like humans require we are social creatures we require interaction with others and so for both of them what that means is that they come in uneducated to this like pointless endeavor yeah because like frankenstein studied what is that agrippa for like the first 15 years of his life pointlessly pointlessly um and then he perpetuates that isolated tendency onto his his son onto the the creature like it is a form of generational trauma 
he's yeah. giving his own generational trauma to the creature and it's mm-hmm. like a cycle that's repeated itself and that isolation is the reason that the creature ends up the way that he does yeah that's so a a theme i don't think i'd really appreciated before right yeah so there's this really interesting conversation this letter from elizabeth to frankenstein i'll just quickly read uh, the portion but it's a farmer's is a very healthy happy life and the least hurtful or rather the most beneficial profession of any my uncle had an idea of his of his uh, earnest um, being educated as an advocate that through his interest he might become a judge it is certainly more creditable to cultivate the earth for the sustenance of man than to be the confidant and sometimes the accomplice of his vices which is the profession of a lawyer. I said, the employments of a prosperous farmer is that they are not a more honorable, they were at least a happier species of occupation than that of a judge whose misfortune it was always to meddle with the dark side of human nature. And I love this conversation because you're like, because she talks about how the, the judge is the decider of like the human fate. Mm-hmm. And that is what Frankenstein saw, like, did um and rather than using his passions for the sustenance of life he thought he could decide it um as like the judge and so it's just this interesting conversation that shelly is having with us from a letter from someone else you know um and uh it's almost also a foreshadowing because frankenstein's decision not to make a partner for the creature is also him trying to like defy his first decision of making life yeah so all of a sudden now he's accrued this like he's accrued this perspective that this is not good yeah (laughs) and now he has to um sustain it but he can't sustain it because he already like created it yeah well and that that also does kind of tie in with like that isolation because again, like part of the reason Frankenstein or the monster ends up the way that he does is because he doesn't have any kind of healthy human interaction mm-hmm. to, to like guide him. Yeah. I mean, you see it with like, it's very animal instinct to mm-hmm. acquire your, your, uh, I guess, moral compass from the people around you. And you see it with like abandoned kittens and puppies. They don't know how to play. Yeah. Because their mother and their siblings were never there. Like you Mm -hmm. have to like 24 seven constantly be teaching them how to be socialized and yeah, socialized. Um, And so in refusing to make a partner for the monster, what he also does is perpetuate that isolation. Mm -hmm. Like the, the, feelings of rejection that the creature had had get cemented in because what he's essentially telling him is you don't deserve yeah. somebody else, which is tragic. Yeah. Regardless like, of like, cause he's a very great character, the, the creature. Yeah. He, you almost, it almost could be a comment on probably is a comment on like the politics of deciding one's, freedoms mm-hmm. definitely yeah it feels 
because like like I said like the general consensus is that he's his name is Adam he's dubbed himself Adam because of their relationship but I would argue he's more of like an Eve figure because Eve was the one who ate the fruit from the tree and was gifted the curse of free will right and that's essentially what he's done to in animating this body mm-hmm. is given the option to choose for himself and then immediately said actually no yeah which i can't really blame the creature for acting out i don't approve of his actions but i don't blame them either it's that so i found that interesting because there's the narr the narrator being like walton yes um because walton i did I, i made sure to make note of it walton's writing this all down hours after Frankenstein has told him. Yeah. Um, doesn't have an opinion either way, really. The way that it's written, the way that Shelley had chosen for us to approach this story mm-hmm. is that um, Frankenstein, I don't want to say sympathetic, but like we're not to be sympathetic, but I think there's an emphasis on sympathy for the creature for obvious reasons yeah and then you have sympathy on frankenstein after the death of his brother um and justine and everyone (laughs) yeah but uh but then at the very end of the book walton takes a stand against the creature yeah but then the creature has like some of the best words ever written in literature. Yes. Um, yes. Should we get into it? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think we should. I like it. Um, he says, think ye that the groans of Clerval were music to my ears. Of just, I, my heart was fashioned to be susceptible of love and sympathy. And when wrenched by misery to vice and hatred, it did not endure the violence of the change without torture, such as you cannot even imagine. Um. I was the slave, not the master of an impulse, which I detested, yet could not disobey. Evil thenceforth became my good. And now you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> you're yeah. like, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> like, you see that, like, he, he made a creature, and then he made that creature a monster. Yeah. 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 Like, and the then, creature was not always a monster. But then Walton still takes Frankenstein's right side. Yeah. When he says, it is not pity that you feel. You lament only because the victim of your malignity is withdrawn from your power. So now that Frankenstein's dead, like his, he is, Walton is recognizing that this isn't pity. This is just, you have nowhere to exert your power like this. Mm-hmm. You have no. He doesn't get closure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I love that he still gets the last word because Walton has to go home mm-hmm. but the creature's like i'm gonna go north so it's like yeah. he actually does do what walton was set out to do so it's almost like this kind of like like you were saying generational trauma but it's almost like this is like the last like the legacy yeah. of of like this because there's also this theme of like this insurmountableness. Mm-hmm. Like when um, 
when the monster takes Frankenstein up to the mountain to like tell him his story, mm-hmm. um, he says like, this is this insurmountable like mountain as this like metaphor for like what they're doing, which is like mm-hmm. without the ability to be complete. Right. Like there's just yeah. never going to be like a right or a wrong at this point because you've just defied yeah. nature. It also kind of like, so, I mean, this is the original sci-fi. Right. And one common drawing for this common theme in sci-fi is this like rising up of things that we've created. So you, like iRobot, um, like the androids that take over. And so the creature could almost be viewed as this like, next step almost in like human evolution mm-hmm. like a man-made kind of version oh do, uh i think i've talked about this before but if you've ever seen the show kyle xy it was on abc family like <laughs> i remember it i didn't really watch 15 it 15 years ago yeah um the whole premise is that he was born in a test tube and so he didn't have a belly button and all this stuff but he also had so again removing that mother element yeah that the woman, the necessity of like a woman within this thing, they still used an egg and everything, but because he wasn't born from a woman, for some reason that meant that he could like heal people by touching them. He had like strange powers and abilities, all that kind of stuff. So where like Walton is attempting to do this first feat for man as this kind of like next step in, in, man's development the creature is able to actually do it Mm -hmm. like doing what the people before him were unable to do right in spite of the monster that they've turned him into the monster that he was like potentially destined to be just by the fact that he didn't have a mother Mm -hmm. which and i do i do want to clarify on that i don't think people without mothers are are monsters but that is something that like Shelly herself is also working through mm-hmm. in writing this because her by this point her relationship with her father was extremely strained and she never knew her mother all she had was a stepmother who for better or worse tried her best but was no Mary Wollstonecraft yeah because they um Godwin kept the portrait of Wollstonecraft above the mantle yep like their entire entire life yeah yeah, so like it, was, it was definitely After her a, big, death. <laughs> a big legacy, a big kind of like big shoes to fill. And so like this like almost like a specter of her mom yeah. throughout her life is like she wants to make sure that she can do better. Yeah. But she also has to reconcile the, the grief that she feels that she's not able to like properly process. Yeah. Um, kind of the th- a thought on isolation. The monster is isolated because of his appearance, really. Um, he become he becomes isolated because of that. He becomes a monster himself of murder through um, the unwillingness to have um, community, right? Mm-hmm. But then Frankenstein is isolated because he is now haunted yeah. by this um, 
vengeful creature. So he becomes isolated like the monster, accused of something. Oh, the, yeah, when he gets, um, when the creature uh, murders someone in Ireland and then Frankenstein gets like accused of it. Yeah. And it's like he gets accused of something he didn't do, but then the creature gets accused of something he isn't. Yes. Because, yeah. You know, and it's it's like this dejection of self versus like dejection of like essential freedom because yeah. Because yes, like Franken the creature is not f- free well what am i trying to say the frankenstein's not free because this creature lives in isolation yeah so then it's almost like frankenstein almost self-isolates because of that like layer i don't know there's just a lot going on (laughs) yeah yeah well it's like a lot of guilt guilt. yeah and i think i think he's right in feeling that guilt because Mm -hmm. When he's accused of that, of the the murder, I would argue that he is like fifty percent responsible for it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because he in, even calls himself like, the murderer. Yeah, at like one instead point of, of like his brother confronting, like his his mistake. Not that the creature itself is a mistake, but the fact that he even tried it, like tried to perverse the, like the laws of nature like this, mm-hmm. was a mistake. And instead of recognizing that that mistake is sentient with a conscience and wants and needs similar to his own, he rejects it. And it would have been not easy, but the harder choice or the the easy choice is to deny this this creature community. Mm -hmm. The harder, but the more ethical choice would have been to confront it and see what to do like in young frankenstein for for a moment frankenstein and yes sorry frankenstein (laughs) so gene wilder makes the creature again Mm -hmm. because isn't he supposed to be technically like frankenstein's like great grandson or something Mm -hmm. yeah um but instead of like rejecting the creature Granted, not the best, like, I'm not saying this is what Frankenstein should have done, but he shows him. He says, look at what I did. And they have, like, this show together. Like, that's how I learned about the song Putting on the Ritz. Um, And so he presents it to society in this frame of, look at what I did. Mm -hmm. And so Frankenstein, in the original text, had in a more scientific, ethical, what is it? Natural philosophy, natural philosophical way presented this as look at what I did. It is far less likely that the creature would have gone around murdering people just because he didn't get dad's attention. Yeah. He might've had a slightly higher opinion of the value of a human life. Mm -hmm. But his like, his existence shows also frankenstein's inability to see the value of human life the value of life because mm-hmm. it's like the the di- dichotomy of life and death is one of the few where it's like genuinely like a dichotomy like it's they're 
very clearly defined. Yeah. And that's partially what like gives one worth over, not over the other, but like in tangent with the other. And so when you remove one, it's just chaos. Yeah. Do you think he had, was it, um, it doesn't really go into too much. Maybe it does. And I just, I was kind of looking for it though, is early in the book when he's doing research and figuring out how he can do this. Um, what is it ambition? Is he wanting, is that what he's wanting is look, look what I can do kind of thing. Like what gets him, what gets him to that manic point of not being able to make sound judgments, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I think like he doesn't talk about it in this, like he was actively pursuing the reversal of death but that like his studies had kind of led him there. Mm -hmm. And then one night he just like discovers the solution Um, and he refuses to tell, but like, I think there is a specific line where he says, I couldn't tell you what I was thinking at the time yeah, or what my, my, my actual endeavor was for. I just had to do it. Yeah, it's this kind of like compulsion. Yeah, like kind of like I was saying earlier, like this irresistibility, like yeah, you can't. It's it's no longer controllable, and this continues to happen. So he has this kind of like irresistible impulse, urge, right, to like create this thing, but he doesn't. He is not addressing or facing its fruit. He, d- yeah. he has no idea what's going to happen after it happens until yep. it happens. And then he immediately rejects it Yep. Um, and runs from it and is scared of it. And then he's like sick for like a month. Yeah. Yeah. And not, on- and then once the creature kills Ernest, Justine is blamed mm-hmm. and it's this irresistible process of just like death. Right. Yeah that is uncontrolled it's uncontrollable there's nothing like that can be done um that just kind of keeps going is well sorry it's just if he had been honest about his creation of creature if if the community had known that he existed then justine wouldn't have been blamed i think i think part of it too is i don't think people would believe him because there's that point where he goes to the lawyer afterwards the attorney and they're like "Uh uh-huh okay the lie (laughs) is just like so big yeah like it should have been immediately upon the creature's birth Mm -hmm. that somebody had been notified yeah but then after all this death he the guilt the grief he isolates right yeah. like it's it's this irresistible process of of them both becoming a monster yeah it, it's definitely like the line from a uh, drastic park when jeff goldblum's like you were so focused on whether or not you could you didn't think about whether you should yeah the ethics that's just like that sums up like half of sci-fi yeah but yeah it's a uh, the sympathetic nature of the creature is definitely a huge gray area 
a huge like mm-hmm. a huge question mark like the level of sympathy that we're meant to feel towards him the level of agency over his actions that we're meant to read into it mm-hmm. i think because that's another like that's one of those things where I, I mean i've read this a few times now mostly for class and it's something i think i go back and forth on it's definitely it's like it's not a clear-cut answer it wasn't supposed to be because mm-hmm. so much of it comes down to like frankenstein's handling frankenstein i'm mm-hmm. sorry frankenstein frankenstein's um it comes down to his like handling of the situation mm-hmm. and this question of like nature versus nurture which was at this time still i don't want to say like a budding thought but it was kind In of question fresh. Yeah. 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 Like the general consensus before had been more nature. I think at mm-hmm. one point, oh, yeah. he even talks about like where he got the body parts from would have been like criminals. And so he was literally constructed of yeah. the bodies of perceived very evil men. And so the question of like how much of that influences his behavior as well. I think an original question nowadays would be like, well, that's stupid. That's not a. Thing, yeah, but but, but at the time, would have. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, at the time, the, I mean, you're coming from kind of like the medieval idea of the body and what it means, which body parts symbolized the soul, um, mm-hmm. how they acted and stuff. So your body was was a direct like representation of like your soul, mm-hmm. um, and whether you were a good person or not. And so that it just makes a lot of sense. And And you're coming out of that in the 18th century. You're starting to understand that, oh, we have, we're made of our minds, you know? Yes. Just a very fun way to uh, demonize people with different bodies, Mm -hmm. people with disabilities, people who look different than you is to say that it's actually a sign of their own lack of morality. Exactly. Which happened a lot. European things. Which happened a lot in the French Revolution as well. There's that awful um march they had where they took um marie antoinette's friend and like you know chopped her parts and just like marched them around because it was this like obsession with body parts and like not body parts but just like sexuality and like how like you know marie antoinette got like a lot of like um shit during that time because of what the society was grappling with which was just very interesting um i do think like obsession with body parts is a a good phrase for it Mm because like it's this obsession with like the relation between the body and the mind Mm -hmm. which definitely came out of at that point like christian thoughts around like the body and sin Mm -hmm. and so i think it was almost this response this like rational response trying to to subvert that mm-hmm. in what's the word i'm looking for in like medicalizing the mm-hmm. body because around this time is when you you get like the the public or not public but we we had talked about this before the um because you get that whole hogarth print where they're doing the human dissection it's like mm-hmm. a theater mm-hmm. like you've got full seating there's doctors in the center who are in the, the middle of like explaining these things to you and like side note criminals were the ones who this happened to so that's why we know that criminals were the body parts used for the creature um but like this attempt to medicalize the body 
gave this like weird fascination with the body on its own not as an extension of the soul but then Mm -hmm. you're like if it's not this then what is it right yeah so then further I was like what is it once you reanimated it right what parts come alive what parts are inherent to the body yeah and I love I love her descriptions too of the physical sensations that Frankenstein and the monster would Mm -hmm. like exhibit like they would be like I would faint or have like convulsions like this this almost like physical hysteria Mm -hmm. um he just needed to get which is very not very much not like a masculine thing like yes yeah which I thought was interesting like he faints a couple times he like has to leave the room because he can't like contain himself so overwhelmed yeah yeah so that's that is very interesting do we want to talk about women anymore i'm happy to jump back on that Mm -hmm. okay um well kind of like what i said like the absence of women in the story is like a big tool that she uses Mm -hmm. to kind of like raise that question of what if um but elizabeth becomes the figure in what I would argue is a cautionary tale of like the ideal woman mm-hmm. but she used like Elizabeth is like a really common name in romantic novels um she is this kind of romantic character that's been just jammed and stuffed into the very gothic science fiction tale and she's rather passive not surprisingly since she's like playing that role or since like she's been cookie cut that way and so this is another area that I think like well the little like the Wollstonecraft and and Shelley is coming out Mm -hmm. because like if she and I like again like not really like placing any kind of blame on her but like if she'd had a more active role if she'd been written written as a more active character then Frankenstein himself might have had a much different relationship with the events that happened because he like talks about forgetting basically his entire family and all of like mm-hmm. their letters and everything during the the months that he was working on his experiments and all of that happened shortly after his mother's death and elizabeth becomes this like un not un uh this kind of like ignorant player in all of the games because she's not meant to have agency from the very beginning though so we're introduced to her another this is another bit of isolation that kind of like just the recurring theme in it um when we get the story of how elizabeth came to be with them her father had or sorry not elizabeth um i'm sorry i'm thinking of his mother but um so elizabeth comes and his mother is immediately like they're gonna get married i want them to marry Mm-hmm. And so from the beginning, even though they were raised in this, like, again, what he quotes as their own little Eden, she was never raised as a sister. She was always raised as like a controlled. Yeah. Yep. As a very specific role that she's meant to fill. And the second the mother dies, the mother who had, when she was a very young child, taken care of her father after isolating the family, turns to Elizabeth and says, now it's your turn it's like now you have to take the weight of everything that I've been carrying for the last 20 years 
20, 30 years, probably. And the, like, the un... I'm going to say unwillingness that Elizabeth has in taking this. Not that she ever rejects it, but that she's never really given the choice. It's just expected mm -hmm. now that she will play the maternal role for the boys. Yeah. She's well, just automatically expected to do that, which a lot of women... Mm -hmm. you enter a new stage and like you're just expected into this new pedestal yeah you, you take on the the boy child <laughs> you be yeah. his mother he's not expected to grow up yeah he can make all the mistakes he wants but now that she's out of the picture you have to be the new one yeah well and she it's uh, around the time it's when she's speaking with justine in prison mm -hmm. and Frankenstein's just kind of in the corner like wallowing because he knows and it's yeah. like that would have been a good time to tell her what's yeah. going on yeah. um also what their wedding night when he's like I'm gonna tell her tomorrow and it's like you know yeah like he's such a coward yeah. yes exactly exactly like he's so afraid of facing the consequences of his actions and this is like the the consequence of that isolation Mm -hmm. He doesn't know how to cope with his mother's death because he's never experienced anybody outside of his immediate family. And so when faced with that, what happens? He commits a great sin against nature. Um, and he's never, so like repeatedly all of these times when he should have done, should have done like all the things we're saying, like he could have done this if he, like it would have led to this. The fact that he doesn't is directly related to the fact that he's never had to like atone for the consequences of his actions in his entire life. He talks about it being a paradise. Yeah. This is very detached. Yeah, we're view. not we're not given much. Yeah, we're not given much about his like early life in terms of like, yeah. I do think like one person we haven't talked a lot about which is Henry Clairvaux. I love Henry. Me too. I cheer up every time he dies. I cried the first time. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it is really sad. So like this time I like didn't, I couldn't, I didn't remember that he died and I was like, <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was really upset. Um, but he becomes this like dream of like, he literally Frankenstein says the word dream yeah. a lot when he's talking about Henry and their time together because he is the dream that Frankenstein wants. Yep. But knows he can never have. And then right after there's a lot okay, so there's a lot of um there's a lot of uh parallels. After he makes the creature and he gets sick, he goes to be with Henry and they're at the college or whatever. The moment he writes to his family, Ernest dies. Ernest is murdered. The moment just after Frankenstein destroys the second creature he would have made, mm -hmm. Henry is murdered. Like yeah. the companionship, the dream, right? Yeah. It's really interesting. A lot of parallels. There, well, especially because like Frankenstein and Elizabeth, Victor and Elizabeth would have essentially become like parents to Ernest. Mm hmm. That's kind of like the the relational dynamic that was em mm -hmm. emerging, and so his rejection of the monster led to his inability also to be a father to Ernest. Yeah, and then his 
refusal of a companion for the monster leads to the removal of his own highest companion. Because, like, yes, him and Elizabeth are going to get married, but the relationship between Victor yeah. and Henry is far deeper. Yeah. That well, is his his companion. And Henry is the first person in the book to say his name, Frankenstein. I noticed that. Mm -hmm. No one says Frankenstein. Not even Walton. Not even Walton. Yeah. I was, um, like, waiting for it, and I was like, why is... Yeah, it's like, he says, oh, Frankenstein, and you're like, so the, you're just immediately, like, given this, like, yeah. anchor of, like, this This is who knows him, you know? Yep. Just, like, the use of the name. Yeah. Shows there, yeah. Yeah. Clerval's probably one of my favorite characters in literature. Really? And am I just, like, he's not that deep, I would even say. I mean, he doesn't do he doesn't have a lot of uh exposition like there's not a lot yeah you get yeah but i think because him, but... even without that you can see his importance to victor mm -hmm. which is not easy to do without mm -hmm. like like you said without that like excessive ex ex exposition because yeah. we get it with elizabeth we get it with his mother we get it uh with frankenstein and with walton but yeah. clerval is like this very pivotal figure yeah. Who doesn't really exist so much outside of his relationship yeah. to Frankenstein. Um, another theme that kind of came up a lot was nature, which mm -hmm. this is where kind of the romantic element kind of comes through, um, is you have um, the role that nature has in romantic literature mm -hmm. is that it's a way to show it's like the foil to what's happening inside of you. Yeah. Um, so that you can look upon nature and see how you're doing, essentially. Yeah. If you're depressed, everything's going to look depressing. Dreary. Yeah. Or be at odds because you're at odds with how you feel. So mm -hmm. a lot of what's going on in this is like the moment he creates the monster. It's like stormy. You can almost like see the strikes of lightning yeah. against the window. Yeah. As like like the Hollywood versions are very, very off from the book. I think the right. like Kenneth Branagh version is as close as it gets, and I don't necessarily recommend it. Yeah. Um, but they all really, really nailed down that night of the final creation mm -hmm. where you've got like the storm and the flashing and the wind buckling the windows kind of like they really grasped that yeah like nature's basically fighting back they're like no you shouldn't be doing this yeah they're like something's wrong yes <laughs> something's yeah. wrong it's like um an alarm yeah yeah um but i love the moon plays a really big role the moon is what frankenstein looks upon the night that night the moon is also the thing that the creature looks upon when he can first, when he first can gain sight. And he mm -hmm. says he looked upon it with pleasure. Um, the moon shines on Elizabeth, who is no longer Elizabeth, he says, mm -hmm. but this body, right? And it's just, and it, you know, obvious, it's, it's pretty textbook of just like illumination, right? Mm -hmm. um, another part too was, like I said earlier, how when they when the monster takes Frankenstein up into the mountain, 
And he's like this place where no one, this insurmountable, like impossible place to reach. Mm -hmm. But then the monster says, I love going to these icy caves because no one else, like, this is not a place where like, he calls it his hovel. Yeah. Um, because no one else can go there. And that's mm -hmm. what Frankenstein, or that's what the monster is, is this, you know, if, if we're going to comment on kind of the, the, psych, the psychological aspect of this, kind of like what we're talking about in the gothic um, episode of just how yeah. like, like the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of um, dichotomy of, you know, is the monster this thing inside of us that we're rejecting, right? Mm -hmm. And like, he likes to go live places where no one can find him and no one can survive yeah. and no one can like explore. Um, and then, but then the moon at night illuminates this, like it's this very, very Gothic, like, yeah. So I just loved how the, the natural aspects of the book where like Frankenstein is like going for walks, going in for hikes and he's having a good old time, but then like melancholy descends upon him. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's just like at odds with nature. And then you see like these huge parallels between the monster and him and their, um, you know, when the monster is out looking for, um, but yeah, so like their reactions to nature, like you'll have a reaction, the monster will have this reaction to nature and then Frankenstein will have the same one. And it's mm -hmm. like, so then you're like, they're, they're like descending down the same like path. And it's just yeah. really cool the way that happens. It's, I can't, you, you said something and I can't remember what it was, what it got me thinking about, like, again, in the theme of isolation. So we've been reading this as like the monster gets rejected. And so that's why he isolates. Mm -hmm. And that's generally how I, I read the, the novel. But also if we were to look at this as, so that's like the nurture side mm -hmm. of it. He's been nurtured into this isolation. Mm -hmm. If we were to look at it from the nature point of view, one of the, I guess, consequences of Frankenstein's subversion of the natural order then is the creature's isolation, the creature's need for isolation and how that can like create the monster within us. And so he- Oh, you mean his, wasn't... Need, for, his need for a companion is like- No, 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 like the opposite, the opposite. Like he created a, a creature who- was destined for isolation mm -hmm. like 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 i said like humans are social creatures we require socialization mm -hmm. all animals require some level of social socialization um but what if another side effect of what frankenstein had done is that he's created a creature that does not require companionship like it is like a base need for us but what if it isn't for him and so that's why he also starts to descend is because just by the very fact of his creation, he's been allowed like to be unchained from that. But and like that doesn't right. change the reading of like he committed these crimes one hundred percent. But he committed them because he doesn't have the capacity to see what he's doing wrong. Almost does that make sense? Wait. Cause I, yeah, I mean, yeah. Cause I think, um, he, there, 
there is this sense of need that he does have though like he has yeah. kind of like he sees the photo of the mother the mother and is like oh she had like delicate eyes and full lips but i have been deprived of this of ever like having I'm this not like talking about like like his desire for it but like a base instinctual requirement for survival kind of like humans actually require that for survival it's why you have to hold babies mm. like babies can physically die of loneliness because of that whereas he doesn't need it to survive yeah yeah and i feel like that definitely kind of changes his experience of that isolation and that rejection because humans don't normally in response to rejection and isolation go out and kill but if you've created this being who by consequence of what you've done doesn't require that for survival then they're going to act out on that desire or that that denial of the desire in a much different way yeah it's kind of like when you um like when you're struggling with something for lack of a better analogy but like when people who are like homophobic sometimes end up being like gay because of like the way that it's been projected onto them um to be like disgusted with it um it's kind of like that where it's like he is he he was born of this state that doesn't require companionship Mm -hmm. and so he's acting out against companionship almost yeah yeah Yeah. i think that's kind of like kind of what i mean yeah it's a i would still argue that like it's frankenstein's fault because it's like a byproduct of his experiment i mean it's all his fault Oh yeah, God, he's he is the monster. Like I've I mean, seen this Tumblr yeah. post where it's like Frankenstein's not the monster, Frankenstein's the doctor. And it's like, well, if you read it, Frankenstein technically is, is the, monster. the monster. Yeah. So I I do kind of want to shift gears though, real quick, because she references uh Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Mm-hmm. And I think it's funny because she references it with Walton. And Walton is like, I wear no albatross yet, or something. I'm typing. He wasn't typing, he was writing. Yeah. Um, um <laughs> He, he alludes to it, but then there's this moment right as Frankenstein is starting to reveal his story and his history where it takes that darker turn, like it does in, in Mariner, where you're like, oh no, he's about to get his albatross. He's about to get his, like, his weight, because I think in that one, it's a poem, and essentially, like, the, the seafarer comes on the ship tells us or not onto the ship but he like tells a story and like he passes the curse that's the sense that Mm -hmm. you get and so that feels like this because again like you mentioned like right at the end after frankenstein has finished his tale the creature has taken off he's like walton's just like i'm coming home now (laughs) like Like, i'm out i'm out yeah peace um he doesn't get his end his his heroic scientific discovery like he intended but he has to bear the weight of this knowledge now for the rest of his life that there's just this thing out there Mm -hmm. this golem of like scientific perversion that now just exists and like you said with like uh frankenstein he does try to tell people they don't believe him and so even if frankenstein okay so let's say for like shits and giggles for a moment 
that the creature hadn't shown up. Walton would have really only had Frankenstein's word, like his story, mm-hmm. too. And like the one like kind of quarter mile away sighting that they'd had at the very beginning of the book, there's no reason that he should have believed him. But then the creature showing up and confirming what's just like the yeah. tale that's just unfolded is what he now has to live with for the rest of his life, which mm-hmm. I can't imagine that. Like, yeah. Knowing that there's just this monster out there. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be terrified. That, I'd... that found the North Pole and you didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, he is a sub, like, he, he's claimed both scientists now, both yeah. of their, their wins for himself. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that te- the text. I mean, I hadn't, I haven't read that, but the chest of books that the creature finds has like, you know, everything you need, right. It has Milton and it had in it had, um, the, the sorrows of young Verta, which, which we read in our class. And so now reading this again, I'm like, oh, I know like the reference to that and like Mm -hmm. how, how, so like kind of the premise of that book is that Verta falls in love with this woman, almost, um, almost like delusionally mm-hmm. um it's kind of like 500 days of summer <laughs> you ever see that? <laughs> kind of like yeah. that um that it just it becomes a source of his own uh, mortality mm-hmm. um if she won't accept him right like what is there to live for so that's kind of essentially like the creatures under under because he doesn't have the socialization was able to glean that and and almost like imitates it or not imitate uh what am i trying to say like subsumes subsumes this like ideology of like this is what i need yeah or uh, or i die (laughs) like one of the big things that we talked about in the wollstonecraft discussion was her her grasp on social conditioning and education Mm -hmm. and so now because again because uh frankenstein Frankenstein, Jesus. <laughs> you have said it a few times and I didn't I didn't correct you. I know. Well, it's I'm sure at some point else. But I like Frankenstein. it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Frankenstein. Um, Frankenstein. 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 It's <laughs> going to be all four ways. Um, because he refuses also like the rejection wasn't just of him as a person, which on its own is pretty fucking terrible. But in rejecting him also denies proper education, which we know is important to him because of the very beginning when he's kind of talking about the arrival of Elizabeth. Basically what had happened was that like his father's sister married an Italian, they moved to Italy, his sister died or his, so his aunt dies. And then the husband writes to uh, the father and says, would you rather her be raised by a stepmother or educate her yourself? And immediately, just like immediate response is, goes to, to uh, Italy, picks her up and brings her home. So this kind of like almost theme, but I think maybe more of a motif because it happened to Walton too, where like Walton's mm-hmm. parents died. And so they made sure that he was educated within the family. His uncle took them in. He learned from his uncle's library. Mm-hmm. The prevalence of like familial education Mm-hmm. is important and so in rejecting that in rejecting that opportunity to the monster 
the monster's only choice then is to learn from these things. And so that like lack of proper education, proper education is a big, a big stepping like block, I guess, for mm-hmm. the, the creature. Well, yeah. And, and the interesting idea of him spectating mm-hmm. and not participating is really yeah. interesting. Like, that's kind of how he learns. Very anthropological. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> <laughs> it's a thick boy. I mean, it's really only... It's only, like, two. 92. Yeah. A hundred and... 197. Yeah, it's not long at all. I have the second Norton Critical Edition. I've never owned this... one of those, but you have a lot of those. Yeah, well, because it was all at ASU. ASU really pushed these versions at least when I went there yeah um and I've always been a stickler about like getting the ones and it's because I want to follow along in class and it was always so frustrating because they'd want you to get like the really expensive ones Mm -hmm. like you need to get these because of the essays at the very end and then you get to that section like that like that lesson and they're like in case anyone didn't get this copy of the book I've scanned the essay that was at the end and required reading online you can access it here that's fine. I just paid $30 for a book. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this did actually have some really good essays. One of them, particularly on the female within Frankenstein, mm. Frankenstein, son of a bitch. Um, which is why that was, I think, something that I've always paid attention to when reading yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have the Oxford World Classics. That's a pretty one. I really like it. I think the monster looks really fucking awesome. Yes. Like that's the monster in the book. Like there's this mo- like at the end when he's like leaving and and Wal- Wallace Walton is like the look on his face. Like, yeah, the new Oxford World's classic has a different like um, cover. But this one was like I bought this like in 2015 or something. Um, I, I don't think it has uh, essays. I didn't read the essays if they did. If I don't know that the <laughs> an introduction. did. There's an introduction yeah. and then an append- bunch of append- appendices. Appendices. It's yeah. a nice word. Um, one of my favorite things about this, though, is it's, it's not like book related. So this one includes the introduction by Percy Shelley. Nice. He doesn't cite himself. But he has this one line. Oh, gosh, where is it? Oh, sorry, I'm not in the. So he's talking about, like, the night that they all yeah. decided, like, let's write scary stories together when they were out in. Uh... Geneva. Thank you, Geneva. Um, I was going to say Genovia. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. God, please. Um, he says. The weather, however, suddenly became serene, and my two friends left me on a journey among the Alps and lost in the magnificent scenes which they present all memory of their ghostly visions. The following tale is the only one which has been completed. And so I love that he finishes off his introduction where he's pretending to be Mary Shelley uh-huh. with like an excuse for not finishing his own story. Yeah. Like just like a man to make the very last thing about him. Yeah. As much as I love their love story, she could have done better. I I think so. Yeah. Like Shelley 
if we, if we kind of want to get into it a little bit, Shelly's like very much the guy all of the girls like want. Yeah. And so then Mary gets him and then realizes he's not as like, like he's kind of all fluff. I mean, he wrote, he wrote some amazing things. Don't get me wrong. He's really, very talented and everything, but he's just in debt and just like, he is your classic, like poet sophomore. Like I was literally going to say he's, he's like so romantic. Yeah. He's like one of the originals. Like obviously he's really romantic, but I mean that in like he, they just took off to go to France and live like this, like bohemian kind of it's like yeah like romantic like ideal yeah. of something and then they get there and they're like sick and like he can't actually afford a lot of it yeah yeah the whole time on the carriage like to like dover she's just like throwing up because mm-hmm. <laughs> she's just yep. like oh my god we're leaving what's this what's going she's on like wow so romantic yeah <laughs> like <laughs> and yeah and then they get there and it's like you know and no one knows who's sleeping with who and it's just like this really like yeah and then Byron's it's, like a another piece of work, but that's a whole that's a whole thing. Um, <laughs> it feels because Mary Shelley is very much like like her mother. Like she's walking the, the walk. She has these philosophies and she's willing to live by them. Whereas Percy seems like he's just using them to support his own mm-hmm. assholery, if that's mm-hmm. a word he he's doing it for like almost legacy or like to be known yeah he's doing it just because like he can she's doing it to make a point um it feels like when you like have well it's more common or more i guess like publicly known now polyamory Mm -hmm. and a big question for or about it from like monogamous people tends to be like well isn't that just cheating and so like people who are like in a healthy manner practicing polyamory are or polygamy are people who one have a lot of trust in each other two have like set like certain boundaries and rules around what that'll look like for them Mm -hmm. um and if i were to like classify them like mary and percy mary definitely falls on the side of like she's she's cool doing it she's like She's like, we can set our proper like boundaries about our relationship, about like what we feel safe and secure with. Whereas he's getting into this because he just like can't be tied down, dude. Like, yeah, he doesn't want to like put limits on himself, which is like well, not the kind of person you want to be with. Yeah. When you're polyamorous. Yeah. Well, he's the one that wants to do it and she's okay with it. Yes. Like she wasn't the one that's like, oh, I really want to like sleep with this person. It's yeah. like, because because they're there there gets to a point where she's kind of i wouldn't say because she's like he she's kind of frustrated because yeah she's left at home with the baby yeah well he can kind of do whatever he wants you know and but that's there's like, a little tension I mean. there like, yeah <laughs> he doesn't respect the boundaries she's like we can do this but like here's yeah here's like how we do it in a way that's healthy for us and he's like no babes <laughs> and then Which he does not and then he dies in a sea storm yeah, which is like poetic or something. Yeah. And then she just lives the rest of her life with his calcified heart in his in her desk. So Ooh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Very gothic. Yeah. I love that. I love that for her. Yeah. Not the fact that like he was kind of a dick. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> yeah. Okay. So final thoughts. Yeah. 
I mean, I'm so glad we did this because I really needed to read it. And when I read it, I was just like, I'm going to like scribble all over this book. I'm going to give this my all, you know, because it's like such a, it's such a gem. Like it is, it's such a gem. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was like, it exceeded my expectations again. I was like, oh, and then another thing. And then another, like, like I said, like, it's kind of this irresistible, like thing where the questions are never answered. Like it's the book is a question. Nothing gets resolved because it can't be resolved. It's insurmountable. Mm -hmm. It's inaccessible Mm -hmm. to our like existence to create life without woman to like create life from death from death is like, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I was never bored. (laughs) Yeah. I've, been very vocal in the past about like I don't reread this is always a book that I'm happy to reread for the the very reasons that you mentioned because especially as I get older because I think the first time I read it was like junior year of undergrad Uh um junior or sophomore year and it always has something like new to give you Mm -hmm. it's such like it's such a beautiful text honestly like her her writing is amazing yeah it's gorgeous the story behind the creation of the book is epic yeah um and the fact that like one of the the fears that she's going into this like uncovering knowing knowingly or unknowingly around like the legacy that she has being mary wollstonecraft and william Mm -hmm. godwin's child Especially because like we kind of talked about in the Wollstonecraft discussion, like Wollstonecraft in being published with this is starting this lineage of like feminist discourse. Mm-hmm. And even though like it's not radical now, it was then, like it started everything, it got the ball rolling. It was a very tiny ball when she had it, and now it's a very big. Yeah. And that's that's great. She started science fiction with this. Mm-hmm. And so she's almost like li- like living up to that that legacy of starting this new. For her, it was like an entire fucking genre. It wasn't just like a a, a yeah. discourse. It was like its own own monster. <laughs> yeah, that has come so far. Yeah, and I love that it started with the creation of life. Like that's yes. that's where she started. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> is like the the source, the origins. Like, yes, yes, exactly. Like it's this Adam figure, this Adam and Eve, this Eden, this constant like creation myth is like repeated throughout of it. And the themes haven't really dwindled in science fiction as all, at all because I mentioned Frankenstein or I mentioned um, Jurassic Park. It's the same premise. Yeah, it's just dinosaurs this time. Yeah, but the same kind of like you were so focused on whether or not you could. You didn't think about the consequences of your actions. Yes. Just the, the weight of that. This mm-hmm. it's, it's very hard to create this perfectly new original story. Mm-hmm. We read a lot of YA on the channel as well. And a lot of YA is kind of just like a remix of Pride and Prejudice or a remix of Hades and Persephone uh redo of this and that but this was like an original Mm -hmm. this just was its own brand new thing 
Yeah. I'm so proud of it. I love it so much. <laughs> I'm so proud of it for her. Yes, I am. I am. Yeah. She lived a very long life. She got to see like the, the fruits. Yeah. That's good. Long life for the 1800s. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, cool. I think that's, oh my gosh. I feel like I can like take a deep breath now. Cause that's like such yeah. a like, I'm just like, yeah, it was just like such a roller coaster this week of like reading that. And like, I've been really excited to talk to you about it. Now, now we go back to YA and yes, then yes. we will go to Wuthering Heights, which is my favorite book of all time <laughs> and, uh, explore that so that I'm so excited. <laughs> so yeah. Damn. Until next week. Until next week. Wait, wait, wait. What are we reading next week? The Cruel Prince by Holly yes. Black. Yeah. I've already started a little bit about it of it and it's it's really cool world. Really cool. I I'm excited to get back into like the Fae. So I've never mm-hmm. read the I think like when you say the Fae people are like Sarah J. Moss. Yeah. I've never read her, which we've yeah. talked about. Yes. But I did read like fairies and stuff mm-hmm. when I was younger. And so I'm excited to get back into that. They can be really, really fun. They they're really um, intense. Yes, yes. And they have this almost like what has been translated in like to Christian lore, like it's almost kind of like devil, like demon, mm-hmm. not in like a negative way, but they'll like, they play with your words. They'll give you half truths. Like you always have to be reading between the lines of them. Mm-hmm. I love that kind of stuff. So I'm excited. Cool. I'm excited. Yay. Yes. All right. Until next week. Happy reading. Happy reading. Bye. Bye. see my cat i can see the little tail oh, yes i just she's saw on the, the tail kind of pop out in the mirror <laughs> yeah she's like i have a cat tree like right here so mm-hmm. um i can see like the reverse reverse of it yeah, yeah. <laughs>